0: Good morning. This is our last in the series in Psalm 23. But Before we jump into verse 6 I would like to ask you a question. Does anybody know what this is? This is a diver's weight. Divers wear this in order not to float back up to the service. You know, I have this weight on my desk. And it holds very important papers, but it also reminds me that I really like the world that's under the water. You know, it all started for me way back uh, when I was very, very young. You know, in the early 60s, when TV was black and white. Does anybody remember that? Black? Okay, there we are. There was an amazing show called Sea Hunt. Oh, <laughs> there we go. You know what? Seahunt was all about Mike Nelson. Mike Nelson would go on adventures underneath the water. And honestly, as a little kid, I just fell in love. He became my hero. I wanted to be just like Mike. Well, you know what? When I went, uh, eventually got to the college years, I had an opportunity to be able to get certified in scuba. Now, that was my primary reason for, well, taking the class. But realistically, I needed a little help with my GPA also. And I know I'd be able to uh, kind of get a good one here. You know, the, uh, the same thing happened to my wife. When she got to college, she was able to take this scuba certification class. Now, she did not need help with her GPA, but she enjoyed the water Nevertheless, well, in our early years of marriage, Sharon's parents invited us to go to Cancun. And when we went to Cancun, we had an opportunity because they were very generous. They paid for our airfare. They paid for our housing. housing. And I had the opportunity then along with Sharon to kind of spend our funds, our resources on fun things. And so one of the things we signed up for was a scuba dive. See, I'd never, well, dove in the Caribbean or a real ocean. I'd only spent the majority of my time uh, diving in the mucky lakes of northern Wisconsin. So I was pretty excited. We signed up, and that morning we walked out to the pier. And we met the three other couples who were going with us. They were all newlyweds. We were oldlyweds, all right? But we got into the boat. We are excited for this adventure. And as we started to move out, everything was really good until we got away from the dock. As soon as we pulled away from the dock, the sea was pretty, well, rough. And we started getting sick. And, the, you know, this little boat was getting tossed back and forth. And immediately, well, the, the guy in charge says, hey, don't worry. All we need to do is get to our spot. As soon as we get to our spot, you're going to put your tanks on, you're going to dive in the water, and as soon as you hit the water, everything will be calm. Well, Sharon looked at me, and she was not doing well at this moment. She goes, I don't know. I don't know if we should go. I don't know if, you know, I'm a little nervous. And I gave her great comfort. I said, honey, this, <laughs> this is the time of a lifetime. This is not a time to bail, I am telling you. We will get in. This will be great. I'll swim with you. We'll go everywhere together. I Count on me. She said, okay, dear. No, she did not say that. She <laughs> said something else, but she said, okay, okay. Hey, we got to the spot, and we put our tanks on as quickly as we could. We stood at the edge of the boat, and we jumped in. Well, Sharon jumped in, you know, at that moment. And she went in face first. And Me, though, I'd seen Mike Nelson. Mike Nelson never jumped in, all right? Mike Nelson did this kind of flip where you'd kind of go backwards and go in tank first. And, and that's how the show always looked to me. So I did it. I did a great jump, landed in the water, took my first breath. And as soon as I did, wow, the world opened up. I had never seen colors like this. I had never seen fish like this. I had never seen caves like this. And I started swimming. The next thing I know is that the instructor was tapping on my tank and giving me the get back up to the boat sign. I panicked. I literally panicked at that moment because either my wife was dead or I was going to be dead. And I swam up back up to the boat, tossed my flippers up there, peeked over the edge, and saw the glare. Well, folks, we had to work out a few things after that, I assure you. But as I fast forward, During our 25th year anniversary, we got to go to Hawaii. Now, actually, the Hawaiian diving was much better. First of all, I learned to dive with my wife. Okay, that was key, all right? Secondly, though, something different happened. I had LASIK surgery before I went on this trip. So as soon as I went underneath the water, as soon as I opened my eyes there, it was unbelievable. I thought it was good before. I actually saw the fish. I actually saw the colors. I actually saw the coral, and my breath was taken away. You know, I can try to describe the undersea world to all of you that have never been there. But until you jump in, you will never understand what it is. You know, the same way many of us have heard about God most of our lives. But just like scuba, hearing about God and experiencing God is a totally different thing. For the last five weeks, we have heard our pastors share with us about the shepherd king. We've gone over a very familiar psalm. We know that Psalm 23 is a psalm written by David, who was a shepherd who then became a king and wrote about his shepherd king. We also know it was written from a sheep's perspective. We are like sheep. But it's a tough metaphor for us to understand and embrace, especially if you're from the city here, all right? We really don't want to be identified as sheep. They're weak. They're dependent. And you know, last night it hit me as I was watching just a little bit of football. I don't think there are any college teams with a sheep as a mascot. The fighting sheep, the horrendous sheep, the sheep that bob very loud when you come on the field. We don't like that. That is not something... We're drawn to. But the longer we live, we realize that we are not as wise or as strong or as in control as we had hoped. We even have a bent to wander, to stray. In fact, the prophet Isaiah tells us in chapter 53 that all we like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's paths and follow our own. So before we actually move on with this message, can we just say we probably act more like sheep than we want to admit? And if that's the case, and we really are sheep, and we really do need some guidance and to be taken care of, maybe we need the right shepherd. But... If you've been with us, we've been memorizing Psalm 23. And I know just right now you guys are excited to stand up and say it with me. Okay, you're not that excited. Uh, there, there might, uh, thank you, sit down. Oh, Kevin. Thank you, Kevin. You're the only one that knows that. But instead of that, you know what? Let's have some of our kids recite some of Psalm 23 for us, all right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lie. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me through quiet waters. He stores my soul. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not water. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He guides me beside quiet waters. He stores my soul. He restores my soul. He He guides me along paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of shadows of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. <laughs> you anoint my head with oil and cup overflow. Surely goodness and love and loving and kindness will follow me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He beats me beside quiet waters. He restores my... Food Now, I know some of you are really worried we would have 85 TGA kids <laughs> quoting this psalm. But you know what? Uh, this is a psalm that so many of us have learned when we were little kids. And now we're teaching our children this psalm. It's a significant psalm, but we're hoping that your perspective and your view of the Shepherd King is changing, that it's not just a child's perspective. Or it's not just maybe a funeral perspective, but it really is an amazing guy named David who had an amazing shepherd king. Five weeks ago, we started with David's exclamation. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. He realizes that he is a lamb and that he needs a shepherd. Then for the next five verses, David focuses on his expectations. Being a shepherd himself, he understood completely what shepherds were supposed to supply, what they were supposed to do. So he said this, because you are my shepherd, because the Lord is my shepherd, I feel relaxed. I shall not be in want. I will not have a need. I will feel rested because you establish healthy rhythms. In my life. Because you are my shepherd, I feel refreshed. You will quench my thirst. I will feel at peace. You restore my soul. And because you're my shepherd, I will feel confident because you guide me. I will feel your presence because you are with me. I will feel secure because you protect me. And I will feel loved because you discipline me. And I will feel blessed. All this happens because David trusts and obeys his shepherd king. Now for the climax. Now for the last verse. Now for the thing that that David shouts out and is so very, very excited. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you, first of all, that you are our shepherd king. I'm sorry, Lord, that we don't trust you at times. I'm sad, Father, that that you need to keep pursuing us. But Lord, we pray as we finish up this unbelievable psalm that you would help us see you more clearly and it would change our lives. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Now, as we look at verse 6, I'd like to look at the first part of verse 6. Julie, (laughs) Julie, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. You know, in the Hebrew text, there's a few words that literally jump out at you. And what I'd like to do is focus just on a few of these words so that we might understand a little bit more of what David was trying to say. The first word, surely. Surely. In a Hebrew text, this is hardly ever written. It is usually assumed. But when David wanted to make something very sure, very clear, he literally wrote surely. He said, you know what? I want you to know that you can depend on this. You can bank on this. The next word, although it's not linear, that would stick out in this Hebrew text would be the word will follow. Now, again, in our English translation, it it seems a little bit like, well, I'll follow, you know, we get in a line, and it's very passive. This word carries with it great vigor. The word will follow really means this, that I will pursue with intensity, that I will chase after. In fact, it's usually used in the context of hostility. So when someone is really mad at you and chasing you, this would be the word that they would use. And then, surely, this is going to happen, the good shepherd's goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. The shepherd is good. And David knows what a good shepherd is. And when there is a good shepherd, there are some benefits of being in their flock. The good shepherd knows when to move. The good shepherd knows how to feed. The good shepherd provides. And so there is a benefit of goodness, something we sang about today, something that we understand. But the word I really want to focus on, land on is loving kindness. The Hebrew word for loving kindness is hesed. It's really, something like that. But since none of us really can say it, we'll do hesed, all right? The word hesed describes God perfectly. It is a word that is used most in the Old Testament when God is involved. Hesed means loyalty. Faithfulness, graciousness, mercy, steadfast love, unfailing kindness. Hesed is a love that is so enduring that it persists beyond any sin or betrayal in order to mend brokenness and graciously extend forgiveness. Hesed is a word that speaks, um, this word Hesed speaks of a completely undeserved kindness and generosity done by a person who is in power. This is the Israelites' experience of God. He revealed himself to them when they were not looking for him, and he kept a covenant with them in spite of their rebellion or lack of response. Sometimes it's best to look at scriptures, other scriptures, to be able to understand what this word really means. So I've chosen three of them that will hopefully enlighten and give us a perspective of what God's Hesed really is. In Exodus chapter 34, 6, you can look it up in your Bibles or you can look up on the screens, but this is what God says about himself. He says, I am the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with Hesed, unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish Hesed, unfailing love, to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. In Isaiah chapter 54, for the mountains may move and the hills may disappear, but even then my Hesed, my faithful love for you will remain. My covenant of blessing will never be broken, says the Lord, who has mercy on you. And then in Hosea chapter 2, verse 19, I will make you, Israel, my wife forever, showing you righteousness and justice and hesed, unfailing love and compassion. I will be faithful to you and make you mine, and you will finally know that I am the Lord. You see, God was very much unlike humans who are fickle, undependable, self-serving, and grasping. Instead, God is always faithful, true, upright, and generous. This was David's God. This was David's shepherd This is why David could start off and say, the Lord is my shepherd. I can trust you. I can understand you. I can love you. You see, Hesed is not just a feeling, but an action. It is a love that can be counted on decade after decade. Hesed is not about the thrill of romance, but it's about the security of faithfulness. So, if I were to maybe retranslate this and help us understand and maybe capture a little bit more of David's joy, I would say something like this. Before we jump in, first of all, David finishes up and says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's look at a few of these words. Dwell literally means I will return to the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, the term that's used mostly for God, the term that gives most honor, the term that says, I am who I am. I was the person that, well, existed before anyone else existed. I am the Almighty God. And David says, you know what? I'm going to live. I'm going to dwell. I'm going to be in God's house forever, or literally for the length of my days, or for eternity. You see, David is quite confident. He's looking to the future. Realistically, the way that I see it, if, if you have two chapters in your life, the first chapter ends when you shut your eyes and begin eternity. What David is saying is, I'm really looking forward to that second chapter. You know, the scriptures are chock full of, of passages that talk about heaven. But the one I chose today is found in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Paul writes this, But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies, our sheep bodies, okay, and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Are you starting to understand how excited? David is to spend time with God. He is literally our shouting, saying, I am going to live with Jehovah for all of my existence. I am going to stay connected with the shepherd king all the time. But if we're honest, each one of us, I'm not so sure we want to raise our hand and say, you know what? Probably one of the greatest things that could happen to me is that I could just live with God all the time. I don't know God that well. God sometimes seems a little boring. God, like, what do you do, just bow down all day long if, if you're like hanging out with God? And we don't really get it. But somehow David is excited. We find this out again in Psalm 27, a whole different psalm, a psalm that was just a little bit later than Psalm 23. And in verse 4, he says this. David says, I am asking God for one thing, only one thing. And I want to stop there. If any one of us were to ask God for one thing, what would that be? And again, this isn't to beat you up, but, but this sometimes tells us what's most important to us. Well, would it be health? Or would it be success? Or would it, and you just fill it out? David was to a point in his life, he says, you know what, I, I have one thing to ask. I just just want you to know. And this is what he says. To live with him, to my, with my shepherd king, with my God, in his house my whole life long. Immediately I stop. I say, you know what? He must see something I'm just not seeing. Now, I know in Psalm 23, he's trying to help us understand who this shepherd king is. And then he finishes, he says, I'll contemplate his beauty, and I'll study at his feet. You see, David was most alive when in God's presence. And for me, as a diver, I was most alive in Hawaii. As I was able to see and have the ocean open up in a fresh, new way. You see, our souls are restless until they find sustained rest in His presence. Ultimately, true joy and satisfaction is found only in God. David knew his shepherd king and trusted in Him. Sadly, it often takes a lifetime to realize how life is empty apart from God. God speaks to his prophet Jeremiah in a very dark time in Israel's history. In Jeremiah chapter 2, he says this, for my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that hold no water at all. God says this, you know, I am the living water. I will satisfy your thirst. And you know what you've done? You've gone everywhere else for that drink of water. You are never going to be satisfied because I am the water of life. And then he says, your priorities are all screwed up. You keep putting all your eggs in this basket or you keep pouring water in a cistern that doesn't even hold any water. I alone will give you life. You know, there are many biblical examples of living apart from God. One of the most famous ones is a story that Jesus told about a man in Luke chapter 15. It was a dad. It was a dad that had two sons. Uh, He was quite wealthy. And the younger son decided, you know what? This living life with dad is a drag. I think I can experience life better under someone else's roof. <laughs> In fact, under my roof, I can just kind of do my own thing and I can go my own way and I'm just going to ask dad for all my inheritance and I'm going to live life the way I think life should be lived. Well, many of you know the story the dad gave the inheritance and the young man went out and, and actually spent everything. And I'm sure He enjoyed life for a while, or for a season. But the money ran out. The job wasn't there. He eventually groveled around and got a job feeding pigs. And having nothing to eat, he started to eat what the pigs would eat. Whoa, this is not life. He started thinking through and says, Hey, you know what, when I was under my dad's roof, there was nothing like this. And he thought, maybe I could just go back. Maybe I could just be a servant. Maybe I could just crawl in. You know the story. He starts walking home. And his dad sees him a long way off. And his dad reacts very differently than any one of us would react. Right? Man, if I'm dad and my son's doing this, whoa, we're having a talk. And then we're going down the rules of the house. And then we're, you know, this is Rick's great love for his son, you know, being exposed. (laughs) But this dad, this dad absolutely goes bonkers. He he humbles himself. He runs out. He gives him things he doesn't deserve at all and says, you know what? I'm going to party. I am so happy. My son who is lost, who tried to live life apart from me is now back, I love it. That was a story of a God, the God of loving kindness, the Hesed God. You see, Christ, when He was here on this planet, came to show people what God looked like. All the way through the Old Testament, no matter what prophet had spoken, People were blurred. They did not understand Jehovah. And so Jesus came and he showed us who God was. And in fact, as Jesus got closer and closer to the crucifixion, it seemed like he got bolder and bolder in his message. In John chapter 10, it seems to me like Jesus is giving a last ditch effort in trying to help people understand who God is in spite of living for years in front of them and representing God very well. But before we get into John 10, we just have to quickly understand what happened in John 9. In John 9, Jesus healed a blind man on the Sabbath It just sent ripples all the way through Jerusalem. People were upset. They didn't understand all that was happening. The disciples were confused. The Pharisees were confused. The neighbors were confused. The parents were confused. All of them had different perception of who God was. The only one actually that got it right was the blind man who was healed. And what happened right after all this as Jesus tried to share with them who God was and what God looked like and how God responded. He goes into John chapter 10. Really, probably weeks before he'd be crucified. And he said this. He says, I am the good shepherd. Again, they understood the metaphor. This wasn't something new. This wasn't Psalm 23 again. This was something brand new and fresh. And Jesus said this, because I'm the good shepherd, I have one purpose in life. And I want you to hear this. He said, I have come to give the sheep a rich and satisfying life. You see, my sheep know my voice, Jesus said. My sheep walk with me. My sheep are protected because of me. In fact, because I am the good shepherd, I even give my life up for the sheep. And he just wanted to remind him, he says, you want to know what? There's a lot of shepherds out there and a lot of people are, are in their flocks, but they're not good shepherds. They're selfish shepherds. They just want to use the sheep. They want to kill them, abuse them, and destroy them. Whoa. I think what David was saying in Psalm 23, if I again could maybe reinterpret this to a place where we could shout it a little bit louder. David says this, I can count on my shepherd king's goodness and faithful love to continually chase after me and know I will live with my shepherd king forever you know can I paint a picture for you can you imagine waking up or maybe going to sleep each day thinking about the shepherd king recognizing how much God cares and loves so that you can say Lord I am making you my king my shepherd, I, I need you today. I'm not going to make really wise choices without you. Honestly, Lord, I, I am not going to even know what paths to go on. I'm not so sure I, I know much. But, but God, I, I know if I'm going to trust you, you're going to take care of me and I won't have any need. You're going to teach me when to rest in my hectic day. You're going to make sure that my thirst is taken care of. You're going to take care of me, God. Father, you're going to guide me on paths. And and when I go through dark valleys, which I know I'm going to go through, God, you're going to be there with me. You're going to do that. You know what? Your discipline comforts me. Your crook comforts me. You bless me like crazy. You know what, God? You chase after me with your goodness. I, I can count on this. And your hesitant loving kindness. You are so amazing. I don't deserve any of this. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I am going to listen to you. <clears throat> hopefully, after six verses, hopefully, after you've embraced some of this, you're going to say, you know what? I want that. I actually want that. How, how do I do it? Because even in the very beginning, when he said, whoa, I got to spend a lot of time with the shepherd king, it wasn't that exciting. Let me just share this with you. One of the greatest things you can do is spending time with our Lord. One of the most important things of your day would be to sit at his feet, listen to his words, respond, and develop your faith. Obey him in ways... I don't know if I can like this. Oh, Lord, this is going to be a tough one. God, I'm not sure I can... But when you know who the shepherd king is, the obedience isn't something that's so hard. Because even when it doesn't make sense, and believe me, there are so many times it does not make sense. You can say, I trust you. You, you are my shepherd. You know, before we continue to adore our shepherd king. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for reminding us who you are, what you do. God, we are grateful. We are overwhelmed. Lord, so many of us, we, we follow the wrong shepherd. Sometimes we're the shepherd, Sometimes it's people or jobs or influences. Lord, would we see you so clearly? Would we love you with abandon? There is no God like you. There's no one other than you. And Lord, the enemy, the enemy has deceived us. The enemy that wants to kill and destroy us has deceived us. God, would we see you as David sees you? We love you, Lord. We pray these things in your son's amazing name. Amen. Would you guys stand?